Hey, it's Greg. This is the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Square Pizza Pod, cooked up by Shermco. Um, this is Greg. Good to see uh, everybody. Hopefully you are hearing me as well. Um, but really excited for this episode. We have Brittany Young from B360 um, coming to us from Baltimore today with this episode. Uh, I got to meet Brittany a number of years ago through um, a fellowship coaching situation that we were able to kind of partner um, with her on as they were looking to raise additional money and excited to bring you Brittany today and learn more about her work and the incredible work they're doing with B360. Um, So B360 is an organization that utilizes dirt bike culture to end the cycle of poverty, disrupt the prison pipeline and build bridges in communities through STEM education, community engagement, workforce pipelining, and events, the organization of changing the perception of engineers and dirt uh, dirt bike riders. So a really cool, incredible, but also just innovative organization that has some really powerful quantitative and qualitative results, um, both in terms of like program outcomes, but also just like the amount of money they're saving the city of Baltimore and a really interesting model that could spread to other parts of the country as well. Um, but more about Brittany. She was the first black woman um, in Baltimore native to have a TED talk. She was the first black person to ever receive the prestigious Bessie Stringfield Award and is currently creating the first ever campus for dirt bikes and education in the country. Um, if you visit Union Station Market in D.C., she's currently on mural a mural three blocks from the White House, focusing on successful black women entrepreneurs. Outside of being a history maker, she has some of the following accolades and accomplishments. Uh, she's lectured at the Yale School of Management. She was a Baltimore 40 under 40, Equine Green Fellow, Baltimore's Women to Watch and Transition Team Member to Mayor Brandon Scott in Baltimore. Her work has been featured in John Hopkins, CBS, Forbes, Teen Vogue, Afropunk, Broccoli City Fest, Toyota, Nike, NBC Sports, and so much more. So as you can see for that intro, Brittany's crushing it. Her group is incredible. Um, we appreciate you checking out this episode and hope you learn so much and get excited and fired up about the great work that Brittany MB360 is doing. Enjoy the episode. Miss Brittany Young, how are you today? I am good, tired, excited. Uh, it's summer in Baltimore, so busy. Life and times of a entrepreneur um, running an incredible organization. That's probably mm-hmm. all the feelings most days. Yeah, you know, a lot of highs, lows, everything you can imagine all the time. And just trying like, you know, just balancing all. We appreciate um, you joining the podcast and definitely excited to kind of go deeper um, and share the incredible work you guys are doing. Thank you. Yeah, of course. But and I know it's been a minute since we chatted. So, of course, was doing my research um, March 25th. And, you know, back me up here if this needs to be altered a little bit. But March 25th, the mayor of Baltimore named that day B360 Day. Is that correct? Correct. Uh, yes, yeah, to celebrate our five that. years. Thank yeah. you. Okay, yeah, so, so celebration five years. Okay, good. Yeah. So we just turned five on March 25th. Uh, what is this year? 2022. Mm-hmm. Um, and so to celebrate five years of us not only just doing work, but, you know, believing in change in the city, we have our own day, B360 Day. Um, and so we celebrated with a press conference, um, announcing the day and getting a proclamation from the mayor. Then B360 held our own press conference where we talked about our campaign, Rock for Change, which is the shirt I have on. 
of, you know, storytelling, but us finally raising funds for the first ever campus, not only to ride dirt bikes, but a pot willies, take out classes. Um, so think of an apprenticeship program during the day, then mm-hmm. like a um, training site at the school. Um, and so this day celebrated just that, like our young people in the city, the work was done so far and really the milestone of the work that we're about to do. It's incredible. I'm sure the kids and the your supporters mm-hmm. and you had to be, um, you know, just so happy about getting that day, that proclamation and using it as a way to lift up your guys' work, right? Yeah, and for our students, they didn't know that they were meeting the mayor. They didn't know. They were oh, surprised. wow. You surprised them. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm good at surprising them. Um, so they were really, like, shocked. And then, again, it's like, who can say it? 14, 15, 16, and 17, they've held press conferences to talk about the work they've done. And then, you know, get a salute from their mayor. So it's really, you know, it's really important to, to share these type of stories and to, like, continue to uplift our people. Um, yeah, because too often people look past them and not look at them to work with them. And I ma- imagine, too, just to have the students have access to the mayor and the cabinet and, you know, other elected officials and c- city staff to see them honoring their work and their relationship to the program really had to kind of um, even push them and elevate them more to understand how special the work you guys are doing is. Yeah, for sure. Um, so the good thing, our mayor is like the first, like, I guess the youngest mayor ever in the history of Baltimore. Um, so he's, I think, 38. He just turned 38. Mm-hmm. Um, he's also from the city. You know, yeah. he's he's one of us. He's educated in our city school system. Me and him are actually from the same neighborhood. We didn't oh, know wow. each other, but yeah, you know, so it's very personable. Um, and I think that also helps transform it because, you know, often we look at people in leadership positions as not attainable. You know, someone you can't touch, someone you can't access. With Mayor Scott, you know, he's proven that he's one of us. Um, and for our students, again, it's, they can aspire to be the mayor one day. They can aspire to be anyone else. Um, but, it, you know, it just shows the power of their voice and vice versa. You know, the mayor listens to them about what young people in our city need and want um, and is willing to help us support them in ways that he can. Yeah. I mean, and not only have you and the students met the mayor, you know, our research tell you mm-hmm. obviously have um, you've been and, and done a TED talk before. I think this past weekend you were hanging out with Neo, the artist. <laughs> um, I think you're yeah, at some point in time uh, were with Kelly Clarkson and also Steve mm-hmm. Harvey. So, like, talk about mm-hmm. maybe how you're getting this exposure and what it means to you and the program, not only like doing the work day to day in the city of Baltimore, but then elevating it, uh, you know, across the country and, and surely across the globe as well. Um, so yeah, Neil was really random. Um, he came to Baltimore <laughs> to add for him. Um, so he was at a concert. I just happened to be there and then it just happened. It just like, works out. A dream. Yeah. But the rest has been around B360. So I was, was really good at pushing out our own narrative, right? A lot of times when people think about dirt bike rides in cities, unfortunately, the narrative has always been one-sided, which is like people who carry guns, people who sell drugs, you know, people who drive through the streets lawlessly, but no one thought about what about the kids who want to do this, who still don't have an avenue? What about the people who don't want to be in the streets, who still don't have the avenue? Um, and so Steve Harvey TV, Kelly Clarkson's Today Show. Yeah, I'm the first Black woman from Baltimore that had my own TED Talk, which is crazy. And I got to film it right in the city, you know. That's great. Congrats. Um, yeah, but it's really because it's organic. Again, that's what this campaign is about, too, is telling our authentic stories. And anyone that knows me, I'm really big on like asset narratives, how we speak about the work that we do and who we work with 
is from a power. Um, I want our students and our people to know that just like I'm doing these podcasts, so can they. Um, mm-hmm. You never hear me say like underrepresented, under-resourced, you know, low income. No, we work for black kids and black people. It doesn't matter what socioeconomic status and we need to put more power to people. Um, but I would say, yeah, this journey of like meeting people, just organic. We've done a really good job of telling our story and making sure we keep doing it. This past weekend, our students were actually a part of Steve Harvey's mentoring camp. Oh, wow. Right, So they went from being on the show to being in his camp. Who knows what they'll do next? Um, and the same thing with Kelly Clarkson. They just randomly reached out to us and it was pretty cool. So not only did I get to share about B360, what we do and a little bit of my experiences being a black woman navigating this space, but I'm always big on, if you're going to give me the platform, I'm bringing people with me, you know, so making sure the voices get heard of people we work with. And I think that's been transformative um, because a lot of times, like I said, people just look past them and yeah, I started B360, you know, I made it happen. But 10 years from now, 20 years from now, who's going to keep it going? It's not me because I'm not going to be cool. It's going to be like the kids and the people we're training up in this moment. And so I'm most proud of how they speak about themselves. And I'm most proud of like their own storytelling, their own journey. They've also been a part of like HBO Max. They've been on um, campaigns with Toyota. They got a shout out from Nike, you know, so we're really just getting started with the people we will touch, the people we will, we will reach. But the biggest thing for me was making sure that they knew how to, to really just tell their stories authentically and feel empowered. And they do. And how have you seen that, just that exposure and that opportunity for students to connect with people like that impact them? Um, I think it's been, so I'm really good with, it's a pleasure to meet them. Like it's a privilege for people to meet and experience our kids, mm-hmm. right? So they're the celebrities. Yep. Um, and they know that. <laughs> so I've kind of created little monsters in a good way. Yeah, that's right? good. That's that, good. Um, yeah, no matter if it was Steve Harvey or it was Kelly Clarkson, um, it could be one day they'll meet Neo or Muggsy Bowles, you there know, you um, that people should have the privilege of experiencing them. So that's what I mean. For them, it's been like they get to meet celebrities, but they also know they belong in those spaces. They get to meet the mayor, but they also know they belong in that conversation. They get to advocate against policy changes, but because they are supposed to be. So it's been not only just empowering and uplifting, but more importantly, like the sky's the limits plus more and what's attainable. Mm-hmm. And I look forward to who they're going to become. They're right now 14, 15, 16, and 17, teaching our classes, you know, having these opportunities. But what we're working on is we're going to skyrocket, not only just us as an org, but really keep pulling out their talent. Um, and that's like my life's work is for me to just keep teaching people how smart they are. And mm-hmm. I've been doing a good job. I think so. Yeah, I think uh, I think you're doing a really good job. Um, and we're going to go deeper into the campaign and B360. But speaking of celebrities, Aaron Walker from um, Camelback, who we've had on the podcast previously, I think really highly of him and the work. And now you guys have... Mm-hmm done some work together, I think, through you going through the fellowship. Um, so you, can you talk yep. more about kind of that experience? Because some of the people that we've had on have are interested in the fellowship or I think would be well suited for it at Camelback. Um, and we've obviously directed them to listen to to his podcast mm-hmm. version on the Square Pizza Pod. So I'd love to hear mm-hmm. your experience connecting with, with Camelback. Yeah, I think first people need to figure out the difference between fellowships and incubators. Camelback mm. is an incubator. Mm. Um, an incubator is just Thank what you. it sounds like. No problem. Uh, because that can be the tricky part of help, of navigating. 
uh, incubator is just what it sounds like. It grows an idea like to scale, but it's very rapid. It's work, it's fire. It is like a catalyst, right? You incubate it. If you put something in a vacuum and you like add the tools that see it, it's just going to grow. And so Camelback is an incubator. That means it's an intense like work plan slash programming. Um, when I was in it, I was using it to help develop like our product side. Um, and this was right before COVID. So in 2019, but you have to have dedicated time. The good thing with Camelback, um, a lot of incubators often don't provide funding in the front. They do. So you get $40,000 and then you get actual technical assistance, which is what people want with an incubator to have a, a like an MVP, like, a, you know, a product at the end, whether that's your new school, whether that's problem solving, how to change your team, whether that's coming up with like a new product. Um, but yeah, I think that's just a baseline of people just knowing the difference between an accelerator and incubator um, and then fellowships. Um, a fellowship is different. A fellowship is passive. Right. Fellowships usually give you money and the ideas around supporting the person, not supporting the programming that happens for the person in their own job. Um, and fellowships don't come with a lot of technical assistance, you know, like where it's not direct programming. Um, but what I appreciate about Camelback um, with Aaron, specifically that a black man, you know, wanted to start his own incubator to make sure that other black and underrepresented founders could make sure we had a path and a pipeline. Um, second, the leadership, like I got to work with Dr. C, who was over at Camelback. And then of course the connections, they're connected to a lot of school, uh, like nonprofits, like mm -hmm. whether it's new schools, I think 4.0 schools, I think how connected with y'all, if it wasn't yep. through Teach for America, yep. and I got connected to Teach for America through Camelback, that yeah. sounds about right. Yeah, you know, so yeah, good people, yeah. Yeah, right, just a lot of like pipelines, but I think for anyone interested in Camelback, you have to just make sure you're serious because it's not going to be hand-holding. It is going to be, they're going to work you, but that's what you signed up for. So that's what I mean for my colleagues in this space, just make sure when you apply for opportunities, don't just apply because of the money. Make sure you actually understand how it can benefit you, how you can use it, um, and if you need it, right? You can be in a million fellowships and still never learn anything. Because again, fellowships are just unrestricted dollars and income that give you money and a network of support. Accelerators and incubators, however, are classes that teach you how to grow your business and grow like your muscle and grow your acumen. Um, and if you aren't ready for an accelerator, don't do it because you're going to fall behind. Or you, if you're in too many accelerators, how can you actually take time to put into place what you've been taught? Um, so that's just my advice is people need to think about their life cycle, which is like, you know, that bell curve, where you are in your business, if you're close to zero, or if you're going back to zero, that's a good time to get like a ramp up from an incubator or an accelerator. Um, again, fellowships, you can do them whenever. It's just making sure you have time to like, utilize that network and to grow it. Um, and I've had the privilege of being in a lot of fellowships, not as many incubators, because I don't really have time and I don't need that many like extra um skills right now mm -hmm. but when i go back and think about what camelback has taught us a lot of the high-end practices that i developed i got from camelback um thinking about how again to streamline processes from camelback um and thinking about to like how to plan out our years so about 2030 i thought about something through camelback and of course the connections i was able to make but I was already doing the work and I understood that an accelerator means I'll do even more work 
and I wasn't afraid to put into practice and to like, you know, be a part of that experience. I love it because I heard what you say as a, you know, a, a fellow on, entrepreneur and small business owner on my best days. And I, I know you gave a mm-hmm. lot of kudos to Camel back there, but um, hiring practices, which it, aren't very easy by any means, uh, and nobody should think that. But then also just like I heard you say, like processes and systems, like operations. So two of those things maybe don't seem the sexiest with all the work you've just done. They don't. You just <laughs> name those two things as, as like critical and really important. So can you speak to like when my, maybe those two things have been so important compared to all the other things you're doing as a leader in the space? Um, yeah, is that curve I just mentioned? I, like, yeah. you know, it's like flat and it goes up. That's the life cycle of any business and org, whether it's for profit, nonprofit, doesn't matter. Um, And so, you know, when you're at zero, you need to have your ramp up to get stable, which is the top of that curve. For us, we're still very much startup, but we we go back to zero with new iterations. We'll be steady with our programming. And so I've really been focusing on growing a solid team. I, as Brittany Young, cannot do all the work that B360 does. I have done it all, but that is not sustainable for me or for the org, especially for me. I will die. Um, And so I've been... Yeah, but I've also been getting good at um, like firing myself. So for example, I teach all the classes. Um, I taught them all, then started training dirt bike riders to do it and people know a lot of fences. Then they started doing trainer trainer. Now we have a program manager who's about to be our program director who will one day be the ED because you know what? We are a hybrid and I am the CEO, not executive director. I will be on the board. I will own B360, but my job is not to you know, be in the middle of it. So it really helps you think about um, you can't work on the business and do the business at the same time. And so it's been allowing me to, like I said, plan, have longevity, fire myself, think about what we need to stay beyond me, beyond my generation. Um, And if you can't, like, I don't think teams should go, you know, you don't always need huge teams. You need people that know how to do the work well. And so my secret sauce has been finding people who not only love me, but love B360, right? And genuinely care about the work that we do. Um, and that's been more fruitful. While we may look like a shiny object to people, they want to come and just be a part of the experience and say they work for us. I don't really want those people. I want the people who will give me at least half of myself. I work 200, get, even if you give me 90, I'm fine. You know, but people I've seen, excelling the work that we do is because they look like the students we work with they look like me they're from baltimore and so i've actually convinced about three of my friends so far to quit their jobs and to join us and so our program director right it's crazy i didn't know i could do that but i'm here oh sure yeah so our program director (laughs) you could definitely do a retired engineer thank you she's a retired engineer um she's a black woman right from i went to high school with her as well you know and that's important our development person was someone i've known since she was 15 and now she works mm. for us. Our admin is the development person's little sister. Um, you know, so really building this team of like kick-ass black women um, that know what it feels like to navigate, that know uh, how to stay on their P's and Q's with the work that we do. And again, we aren't there with the salaries they need, but they know that we will get there. And that's what I mean about they love B360, but they also love me as young. And they love the work that we do. Um, and that's been better. You can have a team of 20 people and still shit don't happen. So I've been really focusing on the people we have and pouring into them and not really adding more people and just making sure they're solid. And they're using those practices I got from like Camelback to, to put in like SOPs, to put in systems, to do automation. 
um, and not being afraid to lean on our team for advice, you know, being vulnerable to say, I don't know everything. So I don't want to know everything. Um, and also giving them the, the support and the courage to lead their own teams. Um, and that's been going really well and we'll only get better. And yeah. I know we're alluding to it a little bit already, but let's maybe zoom out a little bit. And can you give folks in a nutshell what B360 is and what do you guys do day to day? Yeah, so B360, we're a social enterprise a hybrid model. So we're a for-profit and non-profit. And our for-profit, we do two things, which is one, motorsports, and then reimagine public policy with cities and governments. The motorsports industry is $32 billion. There are no Black people in the industry. No helmets for my nice big head. So where we'll be heading is creating our own helmets, gear, et cetera. Um, with public policy, most people don't know possession of a dirt bike in Baltimore is a misdemeanor, right? When we look at skate parks, when we look at bicycle lanes, that's the infrastructure in cities that support that. We have none for people who ride dirt bikes on asphalt or in cities. So my plan is to work with every city across the country and the diaspora uh, where people ride to make facilities and to do comprehensive plans ranging from working with policymakers to police officers to the mayor. Um, so we have programming, diversion, and then making sure we have the, the spaces. Um, we are building soon the first ever campus for dirt bike riders in the country. So this campus, not a park, because a park is a small idea, campus is bigger, will be a place not only to ride pot willies, but to fix bikes, repair them, maintain them. So the best of education, the best of recreation under one hub, and it's culturally relevant. And then in our nonprofit side, what people can donate to is all of the programming that happens. So we have three main programming. Um, one, our STEM program is for kids under 16. So you learn how to build, code, design, and 3D print model size dirt bikes. So think of kids as young as five, learning a part of C++ or Java, um, creating a 3D printed dirt bike that pops a willy, turns left, and turns right. And then in the summer, which is now, they come to camp with B360 and apply that practice, right, of learning how to fix their bike, repair it, and design it. So really leaning into the engineering design process with the theory and then a practical application, and then making sure we're not only making engineers, because that's small, but making sure we're creating kids and people who can think cognitively. Because um, if you can think really well, that means you can go to any job and excel. So it's that problem-solving skill set. Um, our second program is workforce. So for people over 16 with nonviolent offenses or just nonviolent at all, we hire them as trainers. So they still go through the STEM program, but instead they also do classroom management, a career planning, and that's transformative because again, think of 15 year olds and 16 year olds as instructors in the classroom. Think of the dirt bike riders that people thought were a nuisance as instructors in the classroom. Um, and we also pipeline them to more jobs. And then our very last program is our diversion program. So last year, probably one of the easiest things I've done, which is crazy, we rewrote protocol for our entire city that mm -hmm. instead of nonviolent offenders going straight to jail, they can opt in to do programming and training with B360. It just started for dirt bikes and then it's now for anything that's nonviolent. So if you do loitering, dirt bikes or whatever, um, you can choose us and you do 20 hours of training. We use those 20 hours towards you become an instructor. Your charges get dropped and then we place you in the classroom. So similar to our workforce program. Um, and then we pipeline people to like our job partners too. Um, so yeah, that's B360's program. We do the nutshell. 
But really what we're doing is teaching people how to pop willies into the next big jump of life, right? So people ride dirt bikes all across the country. Unlike skateboarding, unlike bicycling, is no places to go. Um, and what we saw was not a deficit, but an asset to education, an asset to reimagine public safety, and an asset to redoing the motorsports industry to be more inclusive and to be for us. Um, and it's been 8,000 students so far. Mm. It's been more than 57 dirt bike riders and counting. And we can quantify all of that because that's just numbers that we can save our city $2.2 million by just the program we've done with adults. And the next five years with this space, we'll save Baltimore upwards of $230 million because that's 8,000 less people that go to jail and city funding spent. Um, and so, yeah, we're leading that charge as a sole organization and just growing B360 to our next milestones. It's incredible. Thanks. Right? Thanks. It's incredible. Every time I hear about it, um, I'm not, not that I need to be more and more blown away, but it's just like the reinforcement of how incredible the work is and, and how great mm -hmm. you guys are doing with, with not only the students, but the young adults and those above 16 in, in Baltimore and beyond. Thank you. Yeah, we want to be in more cities all over the country. I want people to stop talking about, you know, dirt bikes from a like less incarcerate this, but from a how do we make sure, you know, we think about it with a real strategy because policy changes are a band-aid that adds more problems. Um, making police officers enforce policy changes adds more hashtags possibly, you know, and um, cities need to think about just systems as a whole, you can't just, like I saw a mayor last week um, confiscate like a hundred bikes and then crush them. Wow, right? That's a terrible use of funds, a terrible sure. use of time. And it sends a message, right? It inadvertently sends a message that there's a war. Cool, now you start a war, what happens next? There's no system, right? So like these type of things are like not long-term and right, we don't want people to be in streets riding, right? So we want cities to be more traffic calming. Mm -hmm to be slower to be safer and that means having a strategy and approach not just a little band-aid because all it does is add more anarchy and add more fuel to both sides but it is, and we sit in the middle between both sides i know you spoke about some of the data but one that's um you know a, a number of the data points on the website jumped out but the one 81 percent decrease in dirt bike arrests in baltimore city so not only um have arrests went down um, you are then getting presumably more students and more youth into programming with more positive outcomes and then saving the city money as well as what you said. Can, can you go deeper there and share more about some of that data? Yeah. Um, so we had a dirt bike police task force up until last year. So from 2015 to 2021, think of like a SWAT team unit whose entire job was to uphold the law is how to best put it. Right. We have no issue with police. We have an issue with the policy. Um, and so X amount of money was spent through the city with that dirt bike police task force. The number I don't even know because um, it never gets, you know, I don't know, but they use like Foxtrot to like a helicopter to, to find people because we have a no chase policy. You know, you do door knocking and had a hotline, all that kind of stuff. That's a lot of money just for dirt bikes, right? And not saying that dirt bikes are an issue, but that's again, a little bandaid that's not gonna solve the whole problem. Um, through programming and direct investment, right? So uh, reinforcing like positive attributes. We've worked with 57 riders who no longer ride in traffic. Um, so that's 57 less 
people who could go to jail. And that number is about $2.2 million in taxpayers dollars that saved. People forget when you go to jail as a taxpayer, you, you pay for that person to go to jail for a year. Um, and so that's about 2.2 million we saved. In our lifetime as an org, we worked with 8,000 students and counting. And so that's 8,000 less people who could go to jail in the next five years. And so with this space, when we have it fully done, fully designed, that saves about $233 million of taxpayers' money. Um, and to like bring this all full circle, what we want to see is us being able to redo policy. So we want to work with our Maryland State Department of Transportation to make sure we regulate dirt bikes the same way that I leave a car lot and I have to have a title, I have to have insurance, I have to have XYZ. We need to hold the manufacturers and the sellers accountable because we don't do that, right? When you have a car, the driver and the car lot is accountable. Right, right now, we only hold the riders accountable, and that's not okay. So what I want to see is the Hondas, the Kawasaki's, the Yamahas of the world also step up and join us in advocating for spaces. And I want to see our like state-level regulate dirt bikes so that you can successfully like issue tickets where you don't have to issue misdemeanors. You can hold people accountable, but it's not a strategy of like, you know, kicking in the door for a dirt bike. It's not a strategy of wasting funds and over-policing when we can do simple things like speed homes, traffic cameras, which will still catch people who ride dirt bikes in the streets. Um, and so that's how I like to, again, this engineering brain, how I like to reimagine and look at stuff. It is making sure we have administrations and people who can also like follow us in this process. Can you say more about the accountability piece? Because it's not something I've heard you maybe necessarily speak a lot about before. That seems new to me around like holding mm -hmm. not only like the manufacturers accountable for the um, for the dirt bikes. Can you speak more about that? You know, good. Thank you for asking. Um, a large portion of it. Right. So just with anything, people love black dollars, but not like to support black people. Mm -hmm. um, companies make money off of the sale them. of dirt bikes. Yeah, the sale of like gear, right? We had a movie that was filmed in Baltimore in 2020. How much money went towards Baltimore City? Dirt bike riders. How much of that money went to helping us make this space? How much of that money went to actually like reforming the policy? And so that's what I mean. Um, if Honda, Kawasaki, and Yamaha want to be around for another generation or two generations, just way the same way that Mayor Trump's down the bikes, they should be thinking about their own legacy. If the people that ride your bikes are Black people in cities or people in cities. How are you meeting them where they are? How are you helping us advocate? Um, or do you want the industry to die? Right, It's $32 billion with no Black people in it. We are a whole new market that's untapped, and we need people that are responsibly tapping into it by working with us to advocate. Not only throw logos on us, don't throw a logo on me, but I want, I want a Honda, I want a Kawasaki or a Yamaha to also subscribe to helping us build this space and subscribe to helping us get regulations in place because they won't exist for another generation if everyone in every city around the whole country is eventually going to jail for dirt bikes. Um, and so that's what I mean is missing is holding that side accountable and the people who directly sell. So like the, the businesses um, in Baltimore, you can't purchase a dirt bike inside the city limits, but right outside the city limits, you can. Does that seller not have you know like responsibility to make sure you're not selling those bikes and if you sell those bikes to the same people who go to jail for riding those bikes why don't we hold you accountable too and yep. so that's what i mean about like mm -hmm. more accountability 
And on the side of like Department of Transportation in the state, they're the per people that regulate transportation. So they're the people that can also change the system to make every seller have to issue not only a bill of sale and a title, but like even if it's a QR code, QR codes are, oh, QR codes are fun, <laughs> right? A QR code could be captured on camera the same way my tags could be. Um, so that's what I mean about we're in the middle of all of the most innovation ever to happen in the world. Yep. We can't come up with a new process and I will be ha happy to usher in a new process. Right. And I just need, you know, government behind us, funding behind us, not doing it for free. And I need people that want to actually listen, sit down, make stuff happen and not just put band-aids on it because people don't want more George Floyds, but people also don't want more, you know, more proactive approaches with too reactionary. And so I look forward to people joining us and what we have going on. And you've alluded to it, but I want to go deeper now around the Ride for Change campaign, your shirt and some of the other things around building mm -hmm. out the, the campus. So can you talk more about like this campaign, um, you know, kind of the ultimate goal with the campus and what we can do to support? Yeah, of course. The easiest thing that you can do is go to Ride, the number four, change of the side, dot org. Um, and so when you go to this website, you'll actually see like why we ride. And that's the, this shirt I have on. Why We Ride is all about storytelling. It's all about highlighting the people in our programming, highlighting our youth, highlighting our young adults who people don't often hear from around their shared experiences. You know, most people ride to relieve stress. For a lot of our kids, their families ride, their grandparents ride, um, and for them, it's just what they love to do. And then what they've done in B360 has been what people 10 times the age have never accomplished. Um, and so this campaign is a mix of storytelling plus helping us and supporting us to build the first ever campus. You'll see some pictures and some of like the components in that website too. So like I mentioned, the auto body mechanic shop, right? You can fix bikes, repair them and whatever other vehicles. Mm -hmm. We want to have R&D. So it looks like a 3D printing maker space, um, a commercial kitchen, um, an indoor riding track, an outdoor riding track. Um, the skate park of Baltimore um, just launched a campaign or completed theirs. For $16.3 million, right? There's a skate park that's 16.3. We're asking for 11. Um, and ours actually has like, you know, facilities, sites, stuff. Yeah. Um, and so I think when people approach it as, you know, why do we need this money? Why don't we need this money? Mm -hmm. And then when we look at other capital campaigns for things not even this size and this magnitude, I actually didn't ask for a lot. Um, and so yeah, the easiest thing that people can do is go to rapperchange.org. When you donate, you get this cool merch. Okay. Um, we have new merch coming out. All of our merch was done here in Baltimore. Um, and it really just, again, helps support our brand. It's the easiest way to be an ambassador. And it's the easiest way to really help us get to that next milestone. If you want to make gifts over 5,000, please contact us directly. Right. So we want more companies. We want people that want to support us with like naming rights. So in this space, we're going to be able to yep. name something after people and be sponsored by XYZ org. Um, we definitely need more corporations on hand. Like I mentioned, people love black dollars, right? But responsible work with us. So I'm looking for corporations that not only see us as an easy marketing opportunity because yes, we get a lot of media, but who also see us as just that an investment in a city that often doesn't get enough investment, especially in my my type of neighborhoods. Um, and so yeah, I'm just looking forward to people supporting and joining the campaign, helping us advocate for changes and helping us get more corporations and companies behind us 
and then those foundations that want to support operational growth. Um, I am still a volunteer at B360. I am not on salary or payroll because I want to make sure, again, our team can have what we need. But from the philanthropic side, not only can you, you know, help give money for the space, you can also give money to programming and then give money to operations because we will be creating a lot more jobs than what we've already done. And I want to be able to make sure we can offer real wages to people and real benefits. And one day I need to be on payroll. So that's, right. that's how people can really support us is by helping us raise $11 million um, and helping us usher in a new type of story and then connecting us to more city officials and government officials um, because we're only just getting started right here in Baltimore. It sounds like it'd be a no-brainer for like the Yamahas and the Kawasaki's, as you said, and their CSR departments to, to come alongside in a genuine way, of course, but to really partner and, and, and build up and amplify the, the work you're doing and the work that you guys can do together. Yeah, I hope so. Um, I also was the recipient of the Bessie Stringfield Award, which was by the American Motorcycle Association. Um, so Bessie Stringfield was the first Black woman inducted into the Motorcycle Hall of Fame. The reason why Harley Davidson is popular even today is because of her. And so that's what I mean about a lot of firsts. In the 20-something year award history, I'm the first ever Black person to win that award. Um, and so I hope a Yamaha, a Kawasaki, a Honda can come on but I haven't experienced that just yet. Um, and so I hope to this industry is changing. Not they just gave me that award in 2021 because of the unrest of George Floyd, but because they actually have a commitment to growing um, and to diversifying that industry. And I really don't think we have anything left to prove about what can happen. We've hosted now 13 events without a major backing from those sponsors. Um, but like I mentioned, if they want to have a market or a venue in the future, and they want to have an audience, not capturing us is not going to help them. And so I hope they can get behind us, but I'm not like begging either because, yeah, no, <laughs> yeah, no. Nor should you, yeah. And I, I, you know, I think it really jumped out to me in one of the articles I was reading about you because you said in order to begin to push towards systemic change, you as a leader actually prefer less awards and more unrestricted funds to do some of those things you, you can do. And so you're not kind of tied down to regulations or rules in the from the philanthropic community or somebody else. Can you kind of speak to more of that from your experience? Um, yeah, I think I just, you know, I touched a little bit with that award from Bessie Stringfield. Bessie Stringfield is like a matriarch, a pioneer. She's queen of Miami. Um, and I was a little disheartened that I was the first Black person ever to win her award, and she's a Black woman. You know what I mean? Um, my list of awards is long, whether it's like 40 under 40, um, again, having a TED Talk, having, um, being one of the top 25 women in, in Maryland, um, being a lot of firsts, period. So like awards are, are nice, don't get me wrong, but I still have a lot of work to do. And I think people often over mentor black women over like give us awards of like, oh, take this shiny object and be quiet instead of, hey, how do we put a million dollars in your pocket? Hey, how do we help you get funded for the next five years to be sustainable? Um, and so I want this conversation to switch, not just for me, but anyone who looks like me that awards are nice, but unrestricted funding is how I will continue to grow. When I first started B360, I put my own money into it because we got told too many no's 
right? I maintain B360 with only a $10,000 grant locally. Um, that was the most money we got locally. And so I switched to thinking about, again, the business side of yep. selling our program and selling our curriculum. So we got contracts with city schools, Western parks, and the library system. That's how we maintained ourselves until 2020. 2020, of course, COVID happened. We saw all of that revenue go to zero. And so I took a lot of time to just like sit and like reach back out to my network and find people. The first grant we ever got, like that wasn't a fellowship, was with Microsoft, right? So I had a six-figure grant with Microsoft, still had no money locally and still had no operational support other than Microsoft money. Now, Microsoft was operational. It just gave okay. us checks. I'm like, whoo, this is great. Yeah. Um, but if I'm good enough to get money from Microsoft, why aren't I good enough to get money from every foundation? Especially if you're about STEM. Microsoft are the people who make STEM. Right. You know, so that's what I mean about this, this dynamic. I can be a retired engineer, educator, college professor. I can teach classes at Harvard and Yale and Pomona Valley College right now around B360 and our model. And then people still question me about how we work and why we work and why we're effective. And it's just not fair to me. I can advise our mayor on his transition team and still be asked like how it came up with B360 or why this stuff equates to STEM or how our students, you know, these same students who are bad, these same students who don't want to go to school can be teaching people how to fix and repair bikes. You know, so I think a part of the change of philanthropy is removing that scarcity model and that scarcity mindset, but also not putting assumptions on Black founders and Black EDs and Black CEOs, period. Um, just because you do not understand why something works and why something is important doesn't mean it's not valid or valued. And I think we're a good example. My awards go forever. Our money does not. Um, and I get a little like, I would say frustrated, even with media, you know, we have to tell our story, but people assume because we get a lot of media, that means we get a lot of money. No. Um, and I want that to change. I want it to be easier. I want it to, to be less burdensome to exist in this space. Um, and outside of well, a good story, I'm leaving with a good one. Outside okay. of having our protocol be done for diversion program last year, the other easiest thing I've done in my life was actually get a million dollar gift. Right. And this is how I knew that okay. it's possible. Yes, yes. Thank you. Story, yeah. But also yeah, that right. it doesn't have to be hard. Right? <laughs> thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. So this gift um, came from the Start Small Foundation. Um, I'm saying my process was easy, but like, yeah, well, not easy, but it was like reaffirming that doing this work should not have to be burdensome. And I don't have to be a martyr. So I wrote a proposal. It was maybe a page and a half. Again, I'm really good at technical writing straight to the point. Had an interview with the ED. It was maybe like, you know, I don't even know. It's supposed to be an hour. About 31 minutes into it, got hot because he said he was funding us and I couldn't even process it. I couldn't even hear it. Like, I'm like, what did he say to me? No, he didn't say that. So we just kept going with the conversation. Cause I'm like, I didn't hear that. Right. And then I had to ask for clarity at the end. Like, did you say you're funding us? <laughs> you need to back it down or wait, like, what do you mean? <laughs> And that's why I was like, oh, sh like, this was crazy. I had been getting turned down, getting no's for 10000 getting no's for 15000 right? Getting all this reporting we had to do for like $20,000. And they gave us a million dollars mm. off of a proposal. We don't even have the space yet. It's just because, again, they could see our track record. They believed in us. They could see what we was doing. 
you know, we're risky, not really, but we have the, the credibility in the back and behind us. And again, that's a, a good, that was a good reminder, not only of who I am as a person, but a good reminder of like why I do the work that we do and why I'm so steadfast on this does not have to be hard. And I really appreciate foundations like, you know, Teach for America. I appreciate Camelbacks. I appreciate uh, Annie E. Casey Foundation. You know, people who are not also like giving us either capital or like uh, like sources, but people who are also sponsoring us, which is different. And so a sponsor is a person that will not only just give you money, but will speak about your rooms you're not in to help their colleagues also and advocate for you, right? I love sponsors. Um, mentoring, I don't know what people want me to learn about anymore. I'm pretty much like my brain is tired. I can't really learn too much. Um, but I look forward to like more people sponsoring our work, right? Speaking about us in places, advocating for us and more of the philanthropic community also sponsoring our work and not being pigeonholed into what they thought they understood because we kind of like, we don't have nothing to prove. I rewrote protocol in Baltimore City for nonviolent offenders and I don't even work for the government. And we didn't even get paid to do that. You know, we didn't get paid for our diversion program. I had to finance that myself and go get partners to help us. Um, we can be on Kelly Clarkson, do a TED talk, and then people will still not connect the dots. Um, and so I need people to look past their biases. I'm also, I think, the first Camelback Fellow in Baltimore too, ever. I'm also the first Equine Green Fellow ever. You know, I'm the first TED, like I mentioned, I'll be a lot more first. And so I'm kind of like, it's tiring to be breaking the mold all the time and to like kicking the door, but I'm always the first and not the last. And I, that's my promise to my city and a promise to my colleagues in this space. I may have to go through the bullshit, but I'll go through it and make sure it's better for all of us. Um, but I'm also like, I don't wanna have to keep paving this, work, this, this road because I also have my own ceiling and I need the industry as a whole, especially like the nonprofit community, the, the motorsports industry, you know, even government, I can only do so much as one person. But if you open that door and give me access, I'm gonna kill it. You know, I'm gonna like blow it up. But without support, it's only I will reach my top and I've kind of reached my top a lot of times. And so I look forward to more like sponsors and people that can help us in this space. Well, I appreciate you sharing. I'll let that um, first million dollar grant be the first, but not the last was all the good work you guys are doing and all the um, uh, it just even better opportunities are gonna come your guys' way. So let's get you out here. Uh, maybe a few rapid fire questions. You spoke about this a little bit, but what's one thing our audience can do to support the incredible work of B360? Um, easiest, rideforchange.org, the number four. So ride, the number four, change.org. Um, donate, cop out merch, share it, post it, get your friends to donate. Um, and really go to our Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, B360 Baltimore. Like, subscribe, all the good stuff, and join us in this movement. I know all the merch is your favorite merch, but what's the best merch you got right now? Is it the shirts or something else? We have some new stuff coming. I can't even tell you about, but I'm not. Sure? Can't you don't want. Yeah, yeah. want no, no, I'm gonna tell you. Pod? Yeah. You <laughs> yeah, no, it's um, it's gonna be branded after our students. So each one right. of our students will have their own, and so that's what I mean. It's about elevating them. So this is the first one on the back of the quote from me. The mm -hmm. new ones will have actually like their faces, their stories, right? And like packages around each one of them. So we'll get to dig deeper into who we actually are riding for. Um, and so that's gonna be, that's gonna be fun. That's great. 
Um, and the last question we asked all of our distinguished guests, what does square pizza remind you of, Brittany Young? Square pizza. Mm. Like the actual square pizza? I mean, you can take it whichever way you want. It's your world. Um, I guess because pizza is like round and then if it's square, it like doesn't fit, but it does. So I like, you know, I'm a super nerd because it's like it's transcribed inside of a circle. Which I see is this engineer brain coming out. This engineer. I know, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, so it really reminds me again of like, um, it reminds me of B360 to be honest, right? We're Be the Revolution, which is the gears near where it's turning. We're doing a 360, not a 180 because we don't want your back to us, but like community centric and focused models. So square pizza pod reminds me of like connecting the dots inside the circle to bring it all the way around. Um, but yeah, just like breaking traditional norms, pizza is supposed to be round, it can be square. And I think this platform in general is storytelling of like people in our communities who do great work that you wouldn't often think about or hear about um, and bringing that full circle. So I appreciate y'all. Well, that's too kind. We appreciate you for, mm -hmm. for doing the work, for being who you are, for breaking the ceilings and all the great things you're going to do um, in, in days and years to come. Thank you. Um, Brittany Young, thanks so much for joining the podcast. We'll see you soon. Yes. Have a good one. Yeah. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for checking out the Square Pizza Pod, making a few selfish requests. If you enjoyed the episode, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps spread the word about the podcast and share this with a friend. We appreciate it. Thanks.